Hey, welcome to Pull the Thread Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Douglas. I'm a celebrity tailor, a wild Mustang tamer, and an entrepreneur. I managed to take a Brother Project Runway Home sewing machine and built a six-figure sewing business that supports a life I love, and I hop behind the mic to show you that you can do the same thing too. I am documenting all of my experiences in building my own little honey empire, complete with mess-ups and mistakes and experiments and celebrations so that you can shortcut to success faster. So you ready? Let's dive into the episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Pull the Thread Podcast. I'm really happy about this episode, one, uh, because it is episode number 17, and that is my favorite number. Two, because every time that number goes up, I just get happier and happier because this stuff is hard. So the fact that we are still, we're still doing a podcast and it's only episode 17, but also we're already at episode 17 is fantastic because if you have your own podcast, you know just how much work is involved. Um, And then also couple that with like being the CEO of my own brick and mortar business and all of the other things that go along with that. So, you know, 12 hour work days and three hours of admin every day uh, and also running my online courses. So we've got a lot going on here. And so I'm really, really grateful to still be able to fit these episodes in here and there. Um, But I'm trying to keep it down to only when it's going to be super, super valuable and when I have something to say. So yeah, sometimes our uh, publishing schedule is not as, as, uh, consistent as many other podcasts are, but I just want to bring you guys value. So here we go. Today's episode, I'm really happy to do this episode, A, because I'm bringing it to you sooner than I thought I would, and B, because it's all about technology. And mainly that's because people who are creatives, people who make things, if you are a craft-based business, you have a craft-based business, it doesn't matter if it's product-based or service-based, you often rely on social media to gain a following. Uh, I mean, it's like 2022 when I'm recording this and that's where people find their customers. Um, That's where you look for your proverbial lunch table and the people that you like to sit with. Um, And I know for me, meeting different people online, whether it's through Instagram or Facebook or TikTok, has been life-changing. Like It has connected me to the most incredible humans and creatives. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's this episode is not to bash social media. It's more so to extend your lens in which you view it through. So we're going to talk about tech today. But of course, uh, this would not be Pull the Thread podcast if I didn't start out with a story. So let's pull the thread on tech. So the definition of tech has changed over the years. At the moment, we're talking about websites and social media platforms and SEO and strategy. We're also talking about Web3 when it comes to NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens. I did an entire episode about that. But see, back in the 1840s, tech was considered a lockstitch sewing machine. Now, there is a heated debate over who actually invented the lockstitch straight stitch sewing machine. Um, One hot take on it was Walter Hunt. In 1846, Hunt says he invented the lockstitch sewing machine, and he had suggested to his daughter that she manufacture the device when she pointed out to him that this machine would put a lot of poor women in the garment industry out of work. He dropped the idea, and he never patented the invention. Now, a couple years later, he was struggling pretty badly financially. Um, It was said that he'd sat in his workshop worrying about how to pay off a $15 debt that he owed to a friend. Now, back in 1850, that was a lot of money. 
Okay. So he was struggling and thinking about how he was going to pay off this debt. And he was playing with a piece of wire. And the more that Hunt twisted that piece of wire, he discovered that it would coil and then he could clasp it back to itself. And then when he unclasped it, it would retain its shape. So it had just enough spring to be clasped and unclasped again and again. He decided to complete the prototype and some design sketches in one evening. And on April 10th, 1849, he patented the device. And right after he sold the device patent for $400 to W.R. Grace and Company. And yeah, he paid off the debt to his friend. Not long ago, I held that exact same prototype of the very first safety pin in my hand at my friend Al's house. Al used to work for the NSA, and um, I'm not sure how, but he came upon uh, owning a handful of original patents, one of them being the safety pin. So I think I'll probably share the photo of that original safety pin in my hand when I share this episode. So um, if you're listening to this later on, you may have to dig a little bit for it or hit the website if you want to see a photo of it close up. But holding it in my hand and clasping and unclasping it kind of blew my mind as far as tech goes and just how close we are to history, which is why I love sharing stories like these in this podcast. I find it really interesting that we talk about technology in an 1850 that is a metal safety pin that I can go to a friend's house and pick up and physically hold in my hand in 2022. Um, And It's the same technology that builds our digital footprints and helps us retain the space surrounding our brand in a way that um, strangers on the internet can discover us and learn to know and like and trust us. Um, And even go, I will go as far as to say, we can make these incredible relationships with people that we've never met before um, through TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and email lists. My goodness, the list goes on. Um, And so technology is all around us. It is in the inventions of sewing machines and um, safety pins and iPads. And so I want to use this episode to talk about websites. So not just the importance of having one, um, but also some tricks to help you draw in more customers via your website, therefore safeguarding your business. And that does not matter. That is evergreen as it comes, whether you are listening to this in the middle of a recession um, or you're listening to this down the road and it's booming and even business is going crazy, but you're just wanting to get that upper hand, just a little bit more competitive edge. I want to give you some tools and tricks on how to do that because creatives are creative and (laughs) we're not always strategic. Sometimes we Um, do more doing and feeling and less thinking. Um, When when there are three elements to creating anything, it's thinking and then feeling and then doing. Um, And oftentimes creatives just sort of skip to the feeling and the doing. And so I want to provide a little bit of a framework for craft-based work as it pertains to websites. And so I'm going to give you some tips on websites that win. But first, I want to drive home the point of having a website. So if you already have a website, you can skip ahead. Um, But if you don't, I really want to explain to you that all of your social media following that you have built could be gone tomorrow. And so if you do business via social media, or if you have an impressive social media following, 
I want you to close your eyes and think for just a second. If you woke up tomorrow and that entire platform or all of those accounts were erased or you were locked out, would you have another way of connecting with or contacting your customers? And if the answer is no, then I am genuinely worried and concerned for you. And that is the entire reason for this episode. This episode is for you. I'm speaking directly to you. I want to get you a quick win and I want to show you just how simple it can be to build a website to, to trigger audiences and customers, potential customers to go back to your brand and get on a platform that you control. Social media is borrowed land. So if you are spending all of your energy building a social media following and not a business following, whether that's onto a forum that you control, um, a private Facebook group where you have a little bit more control, but you still need another access point to be able to contact those people should something happen to the platform, Um, primarily a website with an email list. I'm going to encourage you to do that because I get to pop into people's inboxes at least once a week. I try not to blow people up. (laughs) Um, And there is no algorithm in my way. Um, They don't have to happen upon my email. Um, The average open rates, actually, I'm going to pause this recording because I want to get really, really up-to-date open rates right now for 2022. Um... Wow. Yeah. I don't even have to pause it. Here we go. The average open rate for 2022 right now is between 17 and 28%. And it says, depending on the industry that you're in, that's from campaignmonitor.com. My average open rate is between 60 and 80%. So 60 to 80% of people that receive my emails open them. Um, So that is like lethal if I went hard on the sales, but I don't, I like to serve you guys. So Um, I don't have an algorithm getting in my way. I don't have to pay an ad for people to receive that email. It is direct to consumer. It is direct to their inbox without anything getting in my way. Um, it has never happened that my email service provider has crashed. Um, even still I do regular backups of my email list, so it couldn't happen. I could literally type it into my personal email and send individually if I needed to, um, or like BCC everybody if I absolutely needed to. Um, the reason I encourage that is because from day to day, week to week, every social media platform, while yes, it is free, the question that you need to be asking yourself is that if I do not pay for this platform, who does? And if it's free for me to use, then it sounds like I'm the product. <laughs> So if you can't figure out what the product is, it is probably you. You are the product, which means the people paying for the ads have more control than anyone. And while I could do an entire podcast episode splitting up the value of advertising versus the value of creative, especially um, for seasoned creatives who are also the CEOs and operating their businesses, um, you could easily get off cheaper by paying for ad revenue than you could investing your time in creating content. Um, that's, that's not what I'm going to focus on here, maybe down the road, (laughs) but in, in the moment, I want to talk to you guys about websites and teach you exactly why you need one, um, and what needs to be on that website. So if you are spending all of your energy 
building a social media following and not redirecting that traffic back to a platform that you own, you're building on borrowed land and you are completely at the mercy of those who decide to advertise. Now, with that being said, if you are advertising, but your whole strategy is to drive clicks to your profile, like your social media profile, you are missing out on a golden opportunity to truly drive contextual interactions with ideal customers an ideal audience, you could be serving that audience so much better and so much like more truthfully and directly and intimately if you had them on an email list or you had them going through your website. Because the moment that you are able to get a follower out of a social media platform and onto a platform that you own is the moment that you have now taken control of your brand. And that's not to be like word salady feels here. <laughs> that is to say that it is almost impossible to get followers to click outside of the app and onto a platform that you own. And yet I routinely do it every single day. And how do I do that? By providing value on social and providing more meaningful and deep ways to connect on the website. So my email list is the VIP. That is the VIP place to be if you want to be the first to find out about things, if you want in-depth answers um, or long-form content, it's all going to live on my website. And small little snippets of it become social media captions. So it's like if you're interacting with something, whether it's a TikTok video or a caption on an Instagram post of mine, you're only getting part of the story. So if you're interested in that content, you're going to be prompted to move over to the website where there's more long form content like that available. Now, with that being said, if you don't have a website or your website sucks, let's talk about ways to make it better. And keep in mind, this is for both product and service-based businesses. So a good website is going to have a combination of very clear, compelling copy, a consistent SEO strategy, and I'll teach you all about it, and servant-minded content. And if that triggers you or affects you, understand that you will get further in business than anybody by serving. Whoever serves the best wins. That's just what it comes down to. So if you're auditing your own content, like your social media content or your website, and you're wondering why it's not converting, ask yourself how well it's serving anybody. Is it serving anybody but you? <laughs> if it's not, then there's probably reason number one why it's not converting, but there's probably a couple other reasons. So everybody's website is going to have different needs, but every website should have one of the following things. Thing number one, you got to have a homepage. It's got to be clear because if you click over to another page, you should be able to see at the top of the page the, the home button or wherever you want to send people to be back at base. The home page is typically the page that everybody lands on when they Google your business. This page should explain exactly who you serve and how you do it. The best way to optimize a home page for great engagement is hero content right at the top. Who do you serve and how do you serve them? Get straight to the point there. Now, this is also the perfect static place where you can feature announcements like sales, offerings, um, booking slots, uh, new products, a link to your Calendly if they're booking alterations appointments. 
If you run a service-based business, it's also really important to put a contact box on the homepage. The goal is to remove as many barriers as possible from a potential client contacting and booking you. Now, most of the time, the business with the shortest path to purchase is the one that outpaces the rest. But if that's all that it has, your bounce rate will be high. Because see, you kind of got to date people first before you propose. (laughs) If you run a service-based business, your next step is going to build a services page explaining exactly what you do. The saying goes, the riches are in the niches. It is so true. Be so, so clear. If you serve brides, talk about how you only serve brides. This is how long you've been serving them and this is how you serve them. The website that simply states that it's an alteration service won't fare well SEO-wise if you're in a city that has 500 alteration shops. So it's really important to clarify exactly who you serve, whether it's bridal or boutique women's wear or custom clothing or costumes for theater. Now, I'll explain better when we get to SEO, but niche down phrasing is really important here in order to attract your ideal customers and repel the rest. Now, for product-based businesses, you need a product page. Call it shop because that is the quickest way to trigger a click. Do not rely on your Instagram posts to list out inventory. You'd be surprised just how many site visitors are in the mindset to shop, but if they're given no options to choose from, they'll choose nothing. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes that I see when I'm auditing different business owners' websites for them is the shop page is not regularly updated. Humans are visual. It's not enough to say that you do custom if you don't also include a gallery full of your custom work. Create a page for products full of options, and if you sell more than one product, create options to shop by category. I do recommend visiting online stores that you love to figure out what you love about it and how they word their categories and their product descriptions because those categories will also come into play when somebody is Googling. Now here's the fun part. Once you've got descriptions in place for each product, You'll also revisit those descriptions using the SEO tools that I'm about to teach you. And then you'll be able to apply it to all of your product descriptions. I also would recommend that if you are a product-based business, you go through the entire checkout process yourself and do the actual order. Order something so that you know exactly what your customer experience looks like because it's always awkward when your customers are receiving a canned message that you didn't even know exists that doesn't really fit in line with your brand. You want to know exactly what sort of messaging is coming through and where, um, if any, there are sticky spots in the checkout process. The goal is for you to be in control of the entire experience and for all of that experience to be seamlessly aligned with your brand. Okay, the third thing, have a contact box, um, sorry, a contact page. It's important to have a dedicated page um, or even if that link at the top of your website says contact, um, you turn it into a link and it's just going to say mail to uh, colon and your email address and you hit enter and that will automatically open up that person's mail carrier um, to send an email. Now, if you don't use the mail carrier in your um, computer, and then that would probably annoy you. So it kind of just depends. But if you want it to go straight to email, you can literally say mail to and then your email address and the contact link at the top of your website will open up an email to send directly to you. 
or you can build an entire web page specifically for contacting you. When I built my first site, I listed every possible way that I could be contacted and no joke, I was contacted by all of those ways. Like at one point, a girl who later on became one of my best friends um, called me and she was like, oh my gosh, okay, <laughs> I have like a $14,000 contract that I, I'm, I'm ready to give you right now to sew a bunch of little tiny hem tags on. You're the only person that had their phone number listed on their website. Like dang, right? So yeah, do that. Make sure that you have options. If you're trying to be reached in every way imaginable, if you're taking clients, you're trying to get more customers, be, be reachable. <laughs> so step one in contact um, to protect your own privacy, I would recommend that you create a free Google voice number. This is one of the first things that I did when things started to get overwhelming and my numbers started circulating everywhere. I created a free Google voice number. All you'll do is download the voice app. It's just voice. And um, that way your cell phone number isn't posted on the internet. And you'll always know if it's a potential customer calling your phone. You can even set up a separate voicemail for them too in case you miss the call. And this way potential customers are receiving a polished experience even when leaving you a voicemail um, and your friends and family are getting a separate voicemail. Step two. Put the contact box on your homepage and at the bottom of your services page. Make it easy for them to get in touch. Um, and then step three was uh, create a separate page titled contact. Believe it or not, people are coming to your website with the intent to contact you ASAP. A dedicated contact page allows that to happen at first glance. So that page should have a contact box, your email, your phone number, a Google voice number, whatever, um, but have multiple ways to contact you. You can say WhatsApp even. Um, you can even say Messenger like on Facebook. Um, so yeah. Those are all the ways that you need to be reachable. Okay, let's talk about another page, about us. It is okay to talk about yourself. <laughs> Creatives love to hide behind their work, and yet we tend to forget that people buy from people. People buy from people that they know, they like, and they trust. You have to build that factor, and it's okay to give them a peek behind the curtain. This is is where you can be 100% yourself. Say what matters to you and why you built your business or why you're building it. If this is a legacy story, tell them that. You can visit musiccitysewing.com, that's my brick and mortar business, and click on About Us. And the first thing that you will see there is it's actually me, like us. Every new entrepreneur likes to hide behind the mighty we, even when it's just you, not realizing that you are dulling your glow. When you're we, you're less approachable. When you're I, when you're me, see, that's what the reader resonates with. Readers are not reading web pages with their friends. They're reading it by themselves on their iPad, in bed, or at their desk, trying to figure out how to get things made or sewn or how to buy product like or, or they're looking for a specific style of dress that you are selling. I identify with fellow I. <laughs> um, so one of the things that you can do to take away your, your draw, your glow, your uniqueness is use verbiage like we. We at this company. You're trying to make yourself seem bigger than you are, but everybody can tell because it's 2022 or 2023 if you're listening to this down the road. We know. 
We're all on your TikTok or we're all on your Instagram. We understand that it's a home setup. So call it what it is and be authentic and you'll build that trust a lot faster with your ideal customers. So people buy, don't buy products or services. They buy stories and they buy experiences. So don't be afraid to storytell. Don't be afraid to tell them who you are and how you make your product. During the pandemic stay-at-home orders, um, I was asked to be one of five speakers at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce uh, by a PR director based in Santa Monica. And he apparently, before giving me the floor at the Chamber of Commerce, Googled me, which like, that's fair, I guess. You want to vet people before you give them the mic. <laughs> um, so he spent all night Googling me. And after the meeting, um, he said, hey, I'm going to call you back. Like after, after we leave the floor, I'm going to call you back. Um, and he called me back and he was like, Crystal, okay, I have to admit, I read the About the Owner page on the business's website. Um, and he freaked out. And that was one of the reasons why he trusted me to give me the microphone for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to be one of the speakers to take the floor to talk about PPP loans, to talk about SBA.gov loans, all of those loans. The reason they, they opened up funding, the reason that they did this was because they assembled panners, panels of speakers, excuse me, to take the floor and talk about what we would do with these PPP loans, how we would create jobs. Like for me, my PPP loan, it was pretty small, but it was specifically for salaries. It was specifically to keep people making masks. <laughs> yeah. So that was a pretty valuable freaking thing at the top of 2020. Um, and so taking the floor meant convincing the U.S. Chamber of Commerce um, to open up and allocate funding for small businesses. So that's pretty freaking powerful, I would say. So I'm proud that I was able to be one of those five panelist speakers. Um, and the reason that I was one of those speakers, the reason that I got to use my voice to emotionally show the U.S. Chamber of Commerce what it meant and what could be done and what like what people you're specifically like putting names and faces and voices to these small businesses. Um, the reason that I was chosen was because this PR director coincidentally went to my same alma mater, went to my same college, graduated with my exact same degree and minor. And after more questioning, we found out that we worked at the exact same, like I literally, I'm getting chills right now reliving this, exact same small business on Music Row in Nashville that he started at a month after I left the company. Like what? Small world. Now that connection led to numerous major publication placements for me. I was on the cover of the New York Times. I did an interview um, with uh, the finance division at the Wall Street Journal. Um, it helped me secure more work for me and my team during an extremely economically uncertain time. What do I have to relive it with you for? You were there. So yeah. Um, never underestimate the power of an about me page, an about us page. Just leave it at about us. About. If you're insecure about saying us or we or about me, um, just say about. Um, so you need that. And that's my story to explain to you just how powerful it can be to be truthful and to be honest and to share about who you are and what your roots are. Um, okay, the next page. This is an important one. Um, you are uh, breaking the law. If you don't have this, 
Um, so sticky conversation time. You need a page that says legal on your website. If you do not have a privacy policy on your website, you are breaking a federal law. And um, I believe that goes for all of the UK, Australia, New Zealand, definitely the United States and Canada. Um, I am not versed in other in other like European countries, so I can't speak to it. Um, but if your policy, uh, your privacy policy, does not have a GDPR compliant provision, you are breaking international laws. <laughs> so now, before you panic, take a collective breath, and let's solve the problem right now. A privacy policy is simply just legalese for creating transparency with the users of your website. Oftentimes, people try to write their own and simply state that they don't collect any data. They want to be like, cool, low-key, like down-to-earth, man. (laughs) Um, But that's half true. Do you know what your web hosting platform is doing with the data that they're collecting? Probably not. Get a privacy policy and include terms and conditions on your site. Personally, I have everything listed in one big long web page titled Legal. A privacy policy informs your visitors what information is collected, how you use that information, um, like emails for your newsletter, (laughs) um, and who else has access to that information, like your hosting company. Now, the Federal Trade Commission, FTC, requires that any web page collecting information from consumers or using cookies, um, like you have to have a privacy policy available to visitors. It requires it. Um, You've got to talk about cookies. You've got to talk about how that data is stored and collected um, and what your actual privacy means. Like you have to define what privacy means on your website. Now, once this is taken care of, then it's time to add a terms and conditions section. It's not all that uncommon for photos and content to be shared with or without the permission of the creator. And oftentimes it goes without credit. Um, If this happens to you, and I'm sure that it has, if you're like me, you have had your stuff ripped off left and right. Um, At the time that I'm recording this, uh, my friend Peyton and I, um, I'm going to have her on the podcast soon. Um, We found out that a piece that we collaborated on for Bon Jovi, um, it's an iconic jacket that Bon Jovi wore left and right, like everywhere, um, on one of his most recent tours, was ripped off and it's being sold for profit elsewhere. Um, You've probably been ripped off. Like if you've been in business for any length of time, you've been ripped off. Your images have been used elsewhere. Um, But if you don't have anything on your website, um, what recourse do you have? So this is where terms and conditions clause can help protect your interests. If you have clearly spelled out that you need to be asked for permission before your content is shared, then you are on firmer ground if you need to send a cease and desist letter or claim copyright infringement. Now, this is one that you could probably write on your own, but there are a bunch online. Um, I personally use the contract shop uh, for all of my legal pages. Um, so on my website, I have um, I have a legal page, a privacy policy, um, and I actually became an affiliate with contract shop. So it's not like this whole episode is like brought to you by. Nope. Um, but if you want to use my link, um, I'm going to share it in the show notes. Um that's where I got mine. It has protected me now for three and a half years um, because I went a whole year and a half in business without having that because I didn't know anything and no one was there to give me podcast episodes and free content online to teach me what I actually needed to be doing. So yeah, um, if you want to use my code, it's going to be contractshop.com, thecontractshop.com. 
um, forward slash question mark, R-E-F. Um, that is race car, echo, foxtrot, equal sign, open bracket, Crystal Douglas, close bracket. But obviously that's a mouthful, so I'm going to link it in the show notes. Um, however you decide to do that route, just do it. I'm thinking of you. I'm like, literally, come on. <laughs> you need to do it. Copy paste it from somewhere legally <laughs> um, or, or download a template from someone or use the contract shop. The only reason that I'm vouching for it is because I've used it in the past. So I know for a fact that you're not going to get sued if you use it. Um, anyways, let's do another page that you should have on your website. Isn't this fun? Social media links. Rather than being a business that sells products and services and posts social media content, I want to challenge you to view your business as a media company that happens to sell its products or services. The brands that think this way have zero trouble staying afloat during economic downturns because they are so focused on connecting with their audience and being there for them that their audience doubles down and supports them. Bonus points, if the audience that you're serving isn't even like a direct line of sight customer for your brand. For instance, let's say you make beautiful headscarves. <laughs> I'm literally just picking somebody that I'm a fan of on TikTok. Let's say you make beautiful headscarves and you sell them on your store. Um, and instead, your blog um, is talking about um, clothing for travel, like how to pack um, and what to pack for different climates and different places that you could travel to. Maybe you share your own experiences and it doubles as a travel blog for you and a creative outlet that just completely fills up your soul because what that's going to do is, um, you know, the roundabout way is it's going to attract ideal customers because you're going to attract people just like you who love to travel and love to travel in style and love to pack efficiently and need to know how to pack um, for each place that they travel to. And by default, they're going to go, oh my gosh, like this site has been so awesome to me. Oh my gosh, they sell headscarves that are gorgeous. I'm going to pack these because I'm going to have a horrible hair day in Venice. Like not like I'm speaking from experience. Um, yeah, like it can be so much fun when you build content that serves, um, and it's not even like, like, like how, like wiki, how articles of plugging in your own product into crappy blogs, that's just called manipulation. That's just selfish. What I mean is use your social media as an amplifier and, and turn your business into a media company. And by default, you will sell more product because you're becoming more and more creative about the ways that you share and post. So yeah, with that being said, engaging with your audience is pretty freaking critical to building that know, like, and trust factor. And so you want to extend every opportunity to them to connect with you and continuing with engaging with the content that you're creating. But all of that content has to live somewhere that you own. Imagine if you're writing these huge long form captions for your social media and you get locked out. You get locked out of your account. Somebody has has hacked you and logged in and has started erasing content left and right and you can't find it in the archive when you finally get access to it. Then what happens, my friend? <laughs> Let me tell you, you have lost critical pieces to your brand that you've spent time building. So the important thing is to build your primary pillar content 
on platforms that you own. And then you're able to piecemeal that out and share bits and pieces of it on social media in a way that you are in control and you can always pull people back if they want to read more or learn more to a platform that you own, whether that be a blog or a podcast or an email list or wherever you, like whatever that format is for you. I mean, YouTube even, like that's at least not, you know, yes, absolutely. Like just something where you own that platform, like something where you are more in control um, than being at the mercy of an algorithm. So I want you to have a page on your website that links all of your social media. And you could even leverage that by saying like the time I went viral and turning it into a blog post and you're sharing the TikTok video on your website. You can repurpose content across the board, but this way when people do discover you via Google or Bing or whatever they're using, they have more ways to connect with you. They don't have to go searching and typing your your Instagram handle or your TikTok handle or your cryptic what is it? Vero handle, um, into, you know, into each individual app, they can just tap the link and, and have more ways to interact with you. Now linking your social media accounts to your website is also important because not only does this give your site visitors more opportunities to connect with you by going to social, but also it's increasing the amount of outbound links within your website. Strong sites in the eyes of popular search engines contain a healthy amount of both inbound and outbound links and social media links make for a really great start. So for example, an inbound link would be uh, from your social media handle, like on Instagram, you have a website link on your Instagram profile. That's called an inbound link. So what is linking into your website? An outbound link would be a social media link on your website. So links going out. Bonus points if it's linking to more content and other places. For example, one of my websites has over 1,000 outbound links on it. So Google is literally going, dang, this site is curating information to other places. It's not just holding all of the traffic in one place. It's good for you to have a solid mix of inbound and outbound links. Now, a cool way of building up your outbound links would be, for example, making a blog post that says something along the lines of um, five of my favorite tools in my sewing studio. Obviously, optimize that title. It's a working title, but then you're going to link to Amazon or you're going to link to Wawak or um, to a different sewing supply company. Um, Bonus points if you find the cheapest place for the buyer to go to. Um, Down the road, you could also affiliate that product on Amazon or somewhere else, um, and that way you're making a profit off of those products. Um, I haven't personally experienced doing that, um, but you can absolutely do it. I've seen other people do it in the past. Um, So an example of outbound links would be a blog post talking about your favorite products and linking away from your website. Um, An example of um, more inbound linking, you can link from one page to another page within your website, or you can link from your different social media profiles to your website, or you can even link within an email in your email list um, back to your website. That would also be a good example of inbound links. Right. Okay. So you've got a good example of how to build up your links, how to build up a little bit of SEO. We'll go in more detail soon. Let's talk about copy. 
When you are building a site, it's important to use various fonts and relate hierarchy within your text. Studies show that websites using no more than three font sizes and styles have lower bounce rates than those who stack more than three sizes on the same page. Um, if you don't know what bounce rates are, that's, that's the number of people who leave your website almost immediately upon landing on it, which is why we want that number as low as possible. Okay, so we've talked about fonts. Let's talk about negative space. This is something that I have experimented with extensively. The more negative space that your site maintains, the longer visitors scroll, the more they engage with your company's online presence. Not to mention, leaving negative space throughout each page keeps it really clean and decluttered, and it keeps the eye naturally moving from left to right and up to down throughout the page. So use spacers and borders to achieve the look that you want. And when I talk about spacers and borders, um, I mean that if like, let's say you're using Squarespace, you can build a website for free. Okay, there are a bazillion free templates out there. You can build it on a trial before you start paying. Like building a website is so economical and easy. All it is, is choosing one that you like, selecting it and plugging your data in. There's no, there's no high tech formatting anymore. So if that's an excuse, nope, you're just afraid to actually put yourself out there. Suck it up. It's time. Anyways. Okay. So we've talked about fonts. Um, we've talked about negative space. Absolutely use it. Um, I am currently actually workshopping <laughs> um, a, a bad um, example of negative space on my crystaldouglas.com webpage. Um, I'm jumbling a couple of things up just to see, um, you know, I want to make the mistake and get the data so that you don't have to. And then I can just share with you what's working. Um, and it is, it's interesting. Um, it's interesting what content works with negative space and what content you have to kind of like keep the eye moving quickly. But overall, as a rule of thumb, negative space is very helpful to you. Just don't go overboard. Okay, next topic within all of this is content. Blogging, as I mentioned before, is the number one way to lead traffic to your website. Companies that have a blog generate 67% more revenue than those who don't and generate 55% more traffic than those who don't. That's some crazy numbers, right? Like that, doesn't that make you go crap? Okay. All right, Crystal, I'm listening. I'm ready. I'm going to do it. (laughs) Okay. So now that I've convinced you to start, if you are not already blogging and you're probably saying, oh my God, Crystal, I'm not a writer. Here you go. I am going to equip you with my secret weapon free of charge. Write this down or type it out. Hemingwayapp.com. Like Hemingway, like Ernest Hemingway app, app.com. It's a web app and all you do, it's free. (laughs) It's geared towards teaching people how to make their writing super clear. Uh, My friend turned me on to it forever ago before I ever started my business when he was like Mr. Miyagi-ing me um, and teaching me how to do marketing um, and SEO and blogging back when I knew absolutely nothing about it before I started my business. Um, He just gave me the website and he was like, learn to write. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, I use that to write blogs for his company. Um, and not long after, no matter what we Googled, um, his company showed up at the top of the rankings. So bloggings, blogging does work, I promise you. But yeah, use HemingwayApp.com. It'll make your writing super clear. I've been a fan ever since I was a beta user years and years and years ago. Um, and even now as a pretty avid writer, um, I mean, I write every single day. I've not missed a day of writing in... Mm, maybe four years, um, probably four, 
couple of days off on vacation. Um, but yeah, I still find myself learning like in this little app. It's wild. Just write down your thoughts, paste them into that site. Don't write directly into it because it is a web app. You could lose everything. Um, and just watch it at work. It'll highlight what needs work. Um, and what's clear and what's bold is like, it's so obvious. Um, and another little factor about that is that most people, and this is a sad fact, they read at an eighth grade level. Um, and the best performing sales copy is at a fifth grade reading level. Bummer, right? So the more intelligent you try to sound, the worse your sales will probably be um, in this space. So what I do is I write all of my blog ideas um, offline. Um, I paste them into Trello. It's a productivity app. Um, I've also pasted them into um, Artful Agenda. It's a, another productivity app that I use to manage my daily schedule. Um, and then when I've gathered all of my data, like I'll polish up the blog, I'll write it, um, and then I will paste it into Hemingway app um, to make my writing clear. So I paste it in, I make all my final edits, and then that way all that's left is pasting it from Hemingway app into the blogging platform or your website. Um, you key in a category for that blog um, and then the appropriate keywords. A meta description, that's the, the meta description is the little paragraph that you see underneath the, the title of whatever pops up in Google. So you really want to fill that up out. Um, that's the paragraph that shows up on Google. Um, and then add a photo just for fun and also for SEO. Um, and another little secret that I'm only giving out here on the podcast is that SEO also pulls from your photo. So if you upload a photo that you uh, took on your phone, and it just still says like IMG, <laughs> number, number, you are missing out on a prime real estate to be using for SEO. Um, so rather than uploading a photo um, with a name that makes no sense um, to your audience, rename it what the primary keyword is, the target keyword is for that blog. Um, so for instance, let's say you were writing about your clothing line launch. Let's say that. And um you could either describe it um, like your fashion line, like um, say the name of the brand launch and then say fashion line launch um, and that's like your phrase. You can name the photo that. That's also helpful. Um, and then you want that in your meta description. You want it in the keywords and you want it to also be um, the title of the category that you're putting it in. So just be really, really thoughtful of that category um, and really thoughtful about your primary target keyword because you're going to put it in all of those areas and Google's going to go, dang, this person must be legit. Let's rank it higher. Um, okay, so we've talked about how to do the actual blog, but let's talk about how to come up with blog ideas. <laughs> Personally, I like to consolidate all of my efforts, and so I tend to take my most common questions, the questions that I get most often, and I turn that into my pillar content, whether it's for this podcast or TikTok videos or blogs um, or emails. Um, and that way it allows me to send people a blog rather than um, answering the same question again and again and again. Um, if you have ever emailed me about tech packs, you probably got a response that says, hey, um, I give you the written and the podcast form of this answer here. Um, and that way it cuts down on the amount of people asking. Um, and also the person asking gets the most thorough version of my answer rather than um, a fragmented version because I get tired of answering the same thing again and again sometimes. 
Um, and then um, I have a framework for developing content. Um, so some content is just meant to inspire you. Other content is meant to educate you. And other content is meant to solely entertain you. So you can start turning common questions into content. You can take topical conversations and talk about how they apply to your business. Um, you can come up with um, your favorite products. You can give a tour of your workspace. Um, and then you can document your day-to-day. -day. People truly love going behind the scenes. If you are still mystified over what to write about um, or vlog about, if you prefer to do video over writing, just concentrate on documenting rather than creating. As you are documenting your day-to-day -day, or working on a project or making product for people, you're passively making content anyway, and that's providing points of connection and interest for your audience. So document over create. It's more important. If you don't have any ideas, just document what you're doing. Now, finally, here we are, my favorite part of this whole episode, we're at SEO, so don't be overwhelmed. Um, the information that I'm going to teach you about SEO here is going to be short and sweet and actionable and um, best of all, uh, evergreen, which means if you listen to this in a year from when it's being recorded, <laughs> it'll still be helpful to you. Um, SEO used to be the most critical thing on earth. But now it's not as do or die anymore. Now that the internet is at scale, every business is online and search engine monetization is already like full fold. Like we're working on web three at this point. Now, with that being said, it's still a critical factor. Yes, it can still drive traffic and profits for your brand. And like literally it blows my mind how many requests we get on a daily basis um, to, to work with us um, solely because of the work that I've done over the years in building my SEO. I barely have to maintain it. It's passive um, and it passively fills the queue with work where we can literally open up the email and go, who do we want to work with this week or year? <laughs> so yeah, it's still a critical factor. SEO and SEM is what search engines like Google use to determine the validity of your site and decide how far up in the page in search that you're going to appear. So the way to start ranking higher is by creating an SEO strategy. And to do that, you want to create a short list of phrases that relate to your service or product. Um, and if you create that short list, then you're creating a pattern and that allows you to remain consistent, just like in sewing. So consistency is here, key here because search engines aren't promoting like jack of all trades websites. They're favoring sites that consistently live up to exact niche phrases. So when someone searches men's atelier in Santa Fe, and you've been blogging once a week for the past two months, and you've mentioned that you're the only men's atelier in Santa Fe that requires its customers to do a shot with your tailor, <laughs> or that you opened a men's atelier in Santa Fe four years ago to serve these people, then Google is going to favor your site higher in the rankings because it's most likely exactly what that search visitor was looking for. Now, rather than putting all of our eggs in this one phrases basket, we're going to hedge our bets and we're going to create a short list of both long tail and short tail keywords to target what we do. Now, an example of a long tail keyword would be menswear atelier in Santa Fe. An example of a short tail keyword would be just atelier. 
or Santa Fe. So that's not specific enough to call in your ideal customers. And now while it's important to include these generic short tail keywords on each page of your website, and a heck of a lot easier to use them and plug them in, right? You can see why the long tail keywords help you narrow your niche and attract more ideal customers. Now this particular example won't help someone looking for an atelier in Nashville. <laughs> um, step one, so choose a couple of both long tail and short tail keywords that best reflect your brand. Step two, go to moz.com explorer and use their keyword explorer. Now you can create a free account, type in your long tail and short tail keywords, and you'll generate a list of potentially perfect ones that you maybe haven't thought of yet. Because see, in your brain, you're thinking of things as the vendor, as the creator, as the person selling the product. But you might not be searching by the exact phrases that your dream customers are searching by because they don't know all the words. They may not know the word atelier. So step number three Narrow your list down and then create categorized lists of keywords that you may use for varying types of blog content. For example, my business does hem tag application for merchandise companies and it also creates stage costumes. So those keyword lists are going to look completely different if I was still looking for clients at the moment. So that's all you need to know to get started, get a quick win with SEO strategy. Um, let's add on another piece to this. Um, so this is going to be the last component that I really want to make sure is on your website and that's ADA compliance. Being ADA compliant with your website is the digital version of providing a fitting room that fits a wheelchair. <laughs> Here are the basics. If you have video, make sure it has closed captions. If you're on TikTok, you already know how to do that. If you have pictures, make sure that they have alternative text. If you have lots of options, make sure that they're accept accessible without a mouse. When you've corrected these things, go to wave.webaim.org and check your site's ADA compliance. It's another free tool. And then make any changes that they suggest. I'll link that in the show notes as well for you. If you've done all of these things to your website, hey, I am proud of you. It is no easy feat. There's a lot going on there. However, these are all factors that have generated hundreds of thousands of site visitors for me over the years and hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue. <laughs> if you've taken these steps, hey, you've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> Relax. And once you've built the bones to this, the hardest part is over. Now all you have to do is maintain it. So pop in every once in a while, refresh things, freshen it all up with a new blog post, update your links regularly, and then just find new ways to serve your audience using the platform that you now own and control. Congratulations. If this episode was helpful to you, please hop on my Instagram. Let's do a little outbound link from this podcast. Hop onto my Instagram or hop onto my TikTok. Tell me what your favorite takeaway was. I'm so grateful that you pressed play and you give me the ability to pop in your ears and share free knowledge with you. Um, but yeah, if you love this episode, consider sharing it with another friend who makes stuff and that way they can make their website not suck too. Um, and hey, another idea. Another thing that you could do with like 10 more seconds of your time <laughs> would be to review this podcast. And hey, five stars only, please. Five stars all the way. Full send on that. I'll catch you next time on Pull the Thread. Thanks for listening.